Welcome into Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Sunday night when I am recording this one, the night before the Nuggets take on the Phoenix Suns in the second round of the NBA playoffs in the Western Conference. Uh, We have a final eight field that has just been set based off of Game 7 between the Dallas Mavericks and LA Clippers. Earlier today, the Clippers won. They will face the Utah Jazz, and if the Nuggets win this series, then they will get a rematch with one of the teams that they beat in the Western Conference last year in the bubble. I think that's fascinating. It's a dynamic that Nuggets fans probably shouldn't think about too much because you still got to get through this series, and the Phoenix Suns are going to be hell. Like They're a much more competent team than the Portland Trail Blazers. Their veterans are going to deliver, I think, a little bit better, Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how they respond uh, now that they've gotten out of the first round and taken down LeBron James and Anthony Davis to a certain extent. Uh, They're going to be very confident, and the Nuggets are going to be dealing with a very confident team at home, so it's going to be very important for the Nuggets to take one of these first two games and throw in some doubt uh, when when if Denver goes on the road and, and steals one. That's probably the thing that you want to take away from Phoenix the most heading into this series. You don't want to get them rolling. You don't want to let them get a 2-0 lead going back to Denver because they're good enough and a veteran enough team that they could take one in Denver. So give yourself as much flexibility as possible in my opinion, but I want to do a short podcast on the battlegrounds for this series uh, when the Nuggets have the ball in the first segment, when the Suns have the ball in the second segment, and then do Monday positivity in the third segment because it is a Monday. Uh, We will be getting to that, and it's been a while since I've done Monday positivity, so I want to brighten everybody's day if I can possibly do that. We're going to talk about some fun stuff. But first, let's do battlegrounds. Let's talk about what happens when the Nuggets have the ball. I think the first thing that everybody is going to be thinking about is the battle between Nikola Jokic and DeAndre Ayton, specifically whether Nikola Jokic can score efficiently against him, whether he can get DeAndre Ayton into foul trouble, and whether the Suns are going to have to put somebody else on him at various points throughout the series. I think that the Aiton defense on Jokic was definitely overstated in some of their their matchup data, some of the statistics. There's a lot of shots in there where Nikola Jokic is missing open jumpers, something that uh, Aiton didn't do. Like he didn't bother Nikola Jokic in those cases. There are a lot of cases where Nikola Jokic certainly got fouled, and those those just weren't called. And he was looking at the refs in bewilderment in a lot of these games early in the year. They were on national TV. They were away. Uh, there's there's a lot of those uh, moments where Jokic is looking befuddled at a referee. Now that he's getting an MVP trophy, I wonder if that changes just a little bit. Uh, but more than anything, you want to figure out just how good DeAndre Ayton's defense is going to be against Nikola Jokic. I thought that Ayton was playing a little bit scared. In, in a lot of those games where he let Jokic take jumpers because he didn't want to let him get to the rim. Jokic hit a lot of those jumpers. He also missed a lot. Uh, 
this version of locked in Jokic that has been in the playoffs so far that just averaged 33 points per game against Yusuf Nurkic, I think that Jokic is going to be pretty good from a jump shooting perspective here. But if he continues to go to the rack, if he continues to draw fouls, I wonder if he could get DeAndre Ayton into foul trouble because it, it doesn't just affect the Suns' defense, it affects their offense as well. Ayton is a great roller who will be very dangerous when Denver uses their two-man-on-ball scheme. And if the Suns can get the ball to Ayton, that's going to be dangerous for Denver. So, if Denver can get Ayton into foul trouble, it helps them in all facets. Their backup options and defenders against Jokic are Frank Kaminsky, Dario Saric, and Jay Crowder playing small. There's not a lot to like there. There's not a lot on the Phoenix Suns roster from a size perspective after DeAndre Ayton. They don't have anybody else. So if Ayton goes out, it compromises everything the Suns want to do defensively against Nikola Jokic. So I think what Denver should be shooting for is to see if they can get Ayton in foul trouble just as often as they got Yusuf Nurkic into foul trouble. It can't just be Jokic. It can be Aaron Gordon. It can be Austin Rivers. It could be Monte Morris. It can be guys taking charges against him in the paint. All of those things will be really helpful in helping the Nuggets win this series and helping them win those individual games. The foul trouble that DeAndre Ayton gets into will be a big decider. Next, Nikola Jokic's three-point frequency. How often is he shooting jumpers? How often is he shooting outside jumpers? I wonder. I don't think that he took a lot of shots from the perimeter against the Suns, against DeAndre Ayton early in this uh, early in the year. These games were five months ago. So a lot has changed. In the first round of the playoffs, Jokic shot a lot of threes, and he did so fairly efficiently. 42%. Can he continue to do that? Can he pull Aiton out of the rim, uh, out in front of the rim so that other Suns have to rotate in there? The four Suns that are in the starting lineup that are not Aiton are CP3, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, and Jay Crowder. Crowder's tough. Bridges is long. Uh, he's very athletic. CP3 is very smart. Booker's athletic too. He gets he he's done better defensively. But none of those guys are going to really seriously bother Aaron Gordon at the rim, Michael Porter at the rim. And so if Jokic can pull Aiton out of there and then dump off passes, hit cutters, I think the Nuggets could have a really good offensive series even against a great defensive team like the Suns. A lot of their stuff is based off of being fundamental. It's based off of defending ball handlers. The Nuggets don't have a lot of those guys. The Suns are basically... This isn't the matchup for them. This is not This is not a great defensive matchup for the Suns because of what Jokic can do. So we'll see whether he can continue to do it. Next, can Michael Porter continue to progress? Can he continue to mitigate his weaknesses as he went forward? In the series against Portland, 
He learned a lot about himself. He learned a lot about his weaknesses. He's not going to solve everything. But if he can continue to maneuver around that, if he can continue to develop around that, learn how to gain separation off of screens, given the way that Norman Powell and guys like him were just sticking to him like glue, Mikhail Bridges is going to be tough. He's going to be an even tougher defender, I think, than Norman Powell. But what one thing that Norman Powell did really have going for him was his toughness, his quickness, his ability to stay inside the shooting atmosphere, uh, the shooting space, we'll call it, of Michael Porter. It's one of the reasons why Porter struggled initially. He wasn't able to get free of that space. Once he did, he was fine. He was great. Can Porter get free of Mikhail Bridges? That's a big question. Next, what will the others do shooting on spot-up threes? The non-Jokic, non-Porter Nuggets shot 39.9% on threes in the series against Portland. Almost 40%. Really, really good. Aaron Gordon shot 60%. Monte Morris shot well. Austin Rivers shot really well. Can those guys keep it up? Can Paul Millsap, maybe, who shot like 15% in the series, can he pick it up? Those are big questions, and... It's a big reason why Denver was able to advance. They got the requisite outside shooting that they needed from those guys in order to stay effective. Can they continue to do so? Can Jokic continue to empower those players? I think he can. I think those guys are playing confidently. They know what they're doing. So it's going to be interesting to see how that progresses. Because it is still a weakness for Denver, I think. But we'll see. Can the Nuggets without Jokic, score efficiently enough to stay attached? That's my biggest question, really, outside of the Aiton stuff. Because Denver, they're going to, like, basically the Suns are going to attach Aiton's minutes to Jokic, I think. I think that's what they're going to do. Whenever Jokic is on the floor, DeAndre Aiton's going to probably try to stay on the floor. So the Suns are probably not going to run DeAndre Aiton when Paul Millsap and Jermichael Green and guys like that are out there. Can those two, can they keep up? Can they dominate inside? Can they match up with guys like Frank Kaminsky, Dario Saric, and punish those guys on the interior? Can Michael Porter score against whoever's guarding him on the second unit? Is it going to be Bridges? I think that breaks rotation for what the Suns normally do. Is it going to be Cam Johnson? I don't know. Probably will be Tory Craig, actually. Tory Craig's been a, a big piece of what the Suns have been in the playoffs. So, can Michael Porter get free of his friend, Tory Craig, who he talked about extensively today against the Phoenix Suns? Next, can the Nuggets simply make more shots? Can they continue to take advantage of of what I think is a a slightly more vulnerable defense than people really give credit for. Phoenix allowed some really easy shots against the Lakers, but the problem is is that the Lakers didn't really have that much offensive talent, especially after Anthony Davis was injured and LeBron was hampered a little bit. Phoenix still, they gave up the second worst defensive shot profile in the entire playoff picture so far. Due to their series against the Lakers, That includes the play-in teams, includes all these teams. 
but they allowed, based off of the location of the shots that they allowed, they allowed the second easiest shot profile that should have yielded the best results. The problem was that the Lakers suck. And I love saying that because it's not supposed to be true, but it certainly was. They shot really poorly on open shots. Will the Nuggets shoot as poorly? No, they will not. But it depends on the margin there. Can they improve from like the the 29% the Lakers shot from three? Can the Nuggets shoot 38%, 40%, 42%? What's the number? If it's like 35%, Denver's in trouble. Denver has the talent there. They can definitely capitalize. One of the things about uh, Compasso and Austin Rivers and some of the guys that Denver brought in, Marcus Howard even, is that they're all very confident shooters. They're confident in themselves. They know the situation. They know and are very comfortable with their own abilities. So I wonder if they can make this work. I wonder what it looks like. And I'm going to be very curious to see how Denver handles it. The guy who I'm most worried about is Paul Millsap because he just struggled shooting. And if the Suns are able to crowd the paint or not really challenge him because he's not shooting well, he was barely drawing iron on some of his shots late in the series. So he's got to rest up, be good, and we'll see if he can, uh, we'll see what happens there. Um... Okay, that's all the notes I really have for when Denver has the ball. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about when Phoenix has the ball. But first, this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. It's not only my favorite sportsbook, but is also America's top-rated sportsbook. I nearly lost all my bets today, but I had one hit, and because I got great odds on an odds boost from DraftKings, I was able to make back all of my money that I could have lost on some of the props that I've been. I've had some awful luck in terms of the Dallas Clippers series. Like, that was really, really bad. But it is what it is. Um, DraftKings, they give so many great options. They are putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. And that is a lot of free money to be playing around with. You'll get a lot of opportunities to get some big bets there. Pick any basketball team that is still in contention. Bet $1. And if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. DraftKings, they offer some great odds, promotions on not just basketball, but baseball, hockey, golf, all week long, every single time. They're safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So when you download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app, make sure to use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free site credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice and to win their next game. If they do so, you will claim $100 in free site credits. That's promo code MHS for a limited time. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We will be right back on Pickaxe and Roll.
right, back here, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for making me a part of your day. I've seen a lot of great uh, reviews and ratings on on iTunes, Apple Podcasts come through. Thank you so much for all those. Those are always so kind. Uh, I love reading those. It's the uh, the big old self esteem boost that I'm always craving. So thank you so much. You guys are you and gals. You mean the world. Thank you. Let's talk battlegrounds. Let's talk when the suns have the ball. Uh, this is going to be a very interesting series for Denver's defense. They were just challenged by the Portland Trailblazers, and Portland, they scored a lot of points. The problem is Denver also scored a lot of points, not just because their defense sucks, but because Denver had a lot, excuse me, they had a lot of pressure points that the Nuggets could push. The Suns also have those, so I'm, I'm when Denver does have the ball, I'm less concerned. When the Suns have the ball, I also think there are some things that Denver can do that are going to be super helpful. First of all, is Chris Paul, is he going to be an actual perimeter shooting threat or not in this series? And I think it's a fair question to ask because here are Chris Paul's stats for the playoffs so far. They are not as uh, as pretty as I think people realize. He has been not a great shooting factor. 9.2 points, 7.7 assists, so he's been passing the ball really well. But he's shooting 38.6% from the field and 20% from three. He's only attempting 1.7 threes per game, shooting uh, 20%. So basically one of five. Um, it's not great. He's actually two of ten. Chris Paul's really, really good. He's also really, really smart. And the Nuggets, they they have a lot of smart players on their team too. Jokic, chief among them. Faku's very smart. Monte's very smart. They've got a lot of smart cookies. I'm not sure there's another player that is smarter in the NBA than Chris Paul. He has so much experience, so much opportunity to uh, navigate pick and roll, navigate defenses. He will provide a positive impact in this series. But if Denver can prevent him from getting to his favorite spots as much as possible, is it possible that Chris Paul isn't going to play as much in this series? I think it's it's genuinely possible. It's also fair that given that he has his injured shoulder, maybe it's just healing. And maybe given that they've had three days off in between their last playoff game on Thursday, just like the Nuggets, and Monday's playoff game to start this series, maybe Chris Paul is healthier. If that's the case, Denver's going to be in a world of hurt because I trust Chris Paul more than I trust CJ McCollum. That is for certain. Uh, I think Damian Lillard is a better player than Devin Booker, but I do think that Devin Booker is really, really talented. So it's very possible that the Suns' backcourt is just flat out better than Portland's. Actually, I think it's likely. We're just going to see how healthy Chris Paul is, whether he's an outside shooting threat or not. Or if uh, Faku Campazo, Monte Morris, Austin Rivers, whoever guards Chris Paul, if all of those guys just have to get into the paint, uh, wall off the paint, wall off driving angles, prevent Chris Paul from getting to his fallaway two spot, I don't know. We're going to have to see. Second, though, who guards Chris Paul? I think this is an actual... This is going to be an interesting battleground because if Austin Rivers can guard Chris Paul, I think the Nuggets are better off. I think they're better off than if they have to go Aaron Gordon because here's why. 
The Nuggets like to run a pick-and-roll coverage that is going to give DeAndre Ayton free reign to the rim. He's going to have an opportunity to get downhill. If the Suns can get him the basketball, then Ayton is going to score a lot of points. It was like that throughout this series, uh, throughout these regular season games. He was very efficient. He was very good. But it was mostly because Jokic was playing up on the screen. He wasn't staying attached to DeAndre Ayton out of design. Denver's trying to get the ball out of Devin Booker's hands, Chris Paul's hands. So we're going to see what they do if, uh, yeah, we're just going to see what they do if Devin Booker is defending, if he's being defended by Aaron Gordon, that puts Austin Rivers on the back line or Faku Campazzo on the back line. And there are going to be opportunities for the Suns to maneuver and navigate that pick and roll coverage so that they make sure that Aiton is only being guarded by Faku Campazzo or Austin Rivers or somebody like that. Even Michael Porter, uh, he will foul. He will be in situations where if Aiton goes through him, he's going to foul him at times. So you want to have Aaron Gordon be the one to meet him at the rim as much as you can, which means that you don't want him defending Devin Booker. If Aaron Gordon is on Devin Booker, if that's something that the Nuggets have to do, then it's going to be interesting. I wonder if Gordon and Jokic can wall off that pass to DeAndre Ayton enough so that it doesn't really hurt them, but it's going to be interesting. Next question, though, is how Devin Booker handles Denver's pick-and-roll coverage. Is he going to try to reject the screen a little bit more because Jokic is playing up on the other side? Is he going to try to go around Jokic, use his speed, his athleticism, to get to the rim? Is he going to try to split? Is he going to shoot into the double team? Can he take it out to 30 feet? Can he, is he going to just stay at 25? Because if he stays at 25 with where they set the pick, Jokic is going to be okay with that. It's less ground for him to cover. If the Suns are setting picks for Devin Booker at 30 feet, and Booker is hitting pull-up threes at the level that Damian Lillard was, that's going to be an issue. That is where Denver will run into some problems with this pick-and-roll coverage. He's proven that he can do that too. Booker isn't the best three-point shooter, but he had a game where he scored 47 points against the Lakers. I think the Nuggets are better suited to guard him than the Lakers are, but still, Booker shot 43% in this series on 5.8 threes per game. So it's not like he's shooting 12 threes per game like Damian Lillard, but I think he will up his three-point numbers. And if he does, if he can hit them at that rate, it's going to be a problem for Denver. Next, can the Nuggets take away the corner three? Here are the stats on this. During the regular season, Phoenix had the third highest frequency of corner threes attempted in the entire NBA, according to Cleaning the Glass. That's something that they prioritized. That's something that most great offenses prioritize. They shot it very efficiently. Denver, on the other hand, allowed the fourth most corner threes. So Denver gives up corner threes. Phoenix likes to take corner threes. Portland, who Denver just faced, they don't take corner threes. They like to take above the break because that's where their guards operate. That's where Dame operates. They like to have CJ 
uh, Anthony Simons. They just use the, uh, they will hit those guys in the slot, and then those guys will either take a spot up three or they'll dribble around a little bit, take a three off of the dribble. Uh, the Suns will work the ball around. They will try to find the most efficient shot. And if they find it, Denver's going to be cooked. If they hit it consistently, it's going to be tough for Denver. I do think, though, that some of these things have a butterfly effect. That if Denver can play Jokic at 25 feet as opposed to 30, then it means that the weak side defenders, the low man, it means that that player will not have to move as far away from his man on the perimeter. Because Jokic can recover from 25 feet to the rim quicker than he can recover from 30 feet to the rim. It's simple math, simple geometry of the court. We're going to see whether that actually happens, but if he can stay 25 feet away, or if they're using Chris Paul, which means he can drop a little bit more, then maybe Denver can take advantage of that and stick to shooters a little bit more. Next, what version of Jay Crowder are the Nuggets going to see in this series? That's that's a big question mark because Jay Crowder has both been a thorn in Denver's side, but also a kind of an ally for them in that he doesn't necessarily shoot very efficiently all the time. In the series against the, the Lakers, he shot 30.4% from three. He shot 7.7 threes per game. He's going to take a ton of threes, and he shot them inefficiently. Is he going to keep shooting them inefficiently? That's the big question. He's had big up and down swings, so he's capable of going the other way. He could shoot 50% from three for a series on that number of attempts. He looked like Duncan Robinson when he was playing in Miami next to Duncan Robinson. It's why the Bucks are get they get so much crap. That is the reason. It's Jay Crowder. So we're going to see whether Jay Crowder can actually do that or not. If he can't, I'm looking forward to seeing whether Denver can recover. If they if they give up those shots, if those shots are being given up to Jay Crowder and Crowder's missing, that'll be a big advantage for Denver in this series. But if Crowder's the pivot point here, you're literally playing like a game of 50-50 because he could miss most of them, but he also could hit half of them. And if he hits half of them, it's 1.5 points per possession. That's not a great look for Denver. Next, will campaign be the short guard that generally kills Denver? Because a lot of short guards have killed Denver in the past. I have nightmares, as many Nuggets fans do, of Ish Smith running around for both the Detroit Pistons and the Washington Wizards and just kicking Denver's ass up and down the floor because he gets to those spots that some other guards can't and Denver can't like overplay him because they have to play other guys. The good thing about the Suns is that when campaign is on the floor, that means that one of Chris Paul or Devin Booker is off the floor. So all Denver has to do is treat him like an elite guard. I wonder who they put on him. It's probably going to be Monte Morris at the beginning, but it could be Marcus Howard. It could be Shaq Harrison. It could be Faku Campazo. I'm not sure how they're going to manage him, but let me just say this. Campaign, he averaged 12.5 points, 
and 3.3 assists compared to 1.7 turnovers in the series against the Lakers. Shot 42% from three, shot it very efficiently, like 100% from the free throw line. He's a good player now. And the Nuggets are going to have to kind of come to grips with that here. I wonder what it looks like for them on their second unit. Can Monte Morris consistently outplay campaign? Can he consistently defend him? We'll see. And last thing, the reverse of what we started with here. Will DeAndre Ayton get Nikola Jokic in foul trouble? Because he is capable. He's definitely capable of giving Jokic some issues. And if he does, and if Jokic has to sit, the Suns are a lot better geared than the Trailblazers are of taking advantage while Jokic is out. Because they can go with Saric at the five. They can go with... uh, uh, they can go pretty small. They can play Crowder at the five in those situations and not necessarily feel a bunch of pressure because Denver's playing Paul Millsap. They're playing Jamichael Green. Michael Porter is going to have to be really big in those situations, even defensively. So, is Jokic going to get into foul trouble in this series? Can he avoid it? He's the most important player for either team. Can he stay on the floor? Can he avoid that foul trouble? Can he be the one to dish it out? It's a big question. It's a big thought. I'm very curious. Um, he does mostly like he mostly does a great job of staying out of foul trouble. There are times where he gets into it, but he usually gets out of it. He's pretty smart about it. But if he does get into foul trouble, he'll likely be kind of a uh, what's a swinging gate on the defensive end. Somebody who's going to open up their body, make sure that they don't pick up fouls. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be ugly. So can he stay engaged, stay focused, and stay out of foul trouble? That is a big deal. All right, that's it for these notes on both sides of the floor. When we come back, going to do some Monday positivity. Probably go five, six, seven minutes, uh, but want to share share the love on this fine Monday that uh, we're into June. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll be right back. Final segment here, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. I, I ended that last one by saying the Nuggets are playing in June. Or actually, I didn't say the Nuggets are playing in June. I said it was June. But this is my first positive thing. The Nuggets are playing in June, people. I don't know how many times this has actually happened in franchise history. This is one thing I didn't look up. But the Nuggets, this is usually when the finals are playing. It's a little bit weird. It's a little bit of a wonky schedule. But this will be the first time in my recent memory, that the Nuggets are playing in the month of June. And so it's kind of nice that in this summer months, that in this pandemic that we've had, that Denver's still playing. They're they're going to be playing. And uh, one thing that's a little bit negative is that the longer they play, I think the Nuggets and the rest of the NBA are going to be starting up again in mid-October. So that's about four and a half months from now. Not a long break, not a lot of opportunity to get away. Uh, I certainly will be taking a break whenever I can, but the Nuggets are not going to have an opportunity and Nikola Jokic will probably play in Serbia uh, for, well, with Serbia for the Olympics, that if they are going, then 
And if the Olympics actually happen, that is going to happen as well. So Jokic is not going to get much of a break, but the great thing is he's in excellent shape now. He can handle it. He can do it. I think the biggest piece of positivity that I can share is that there just isn't a lot of pressure on this team right now. Think of how happy the franchise and the the fan base was that this franchise, that this team was able to get through the first round. They're able to just get through it. Everybody was so pumped and they should be. Like, I thought it was a big accomplishment that they were able to get through the Portland Trailblazers without their, without their second best player, without Jamal Murray. The injury to Murray was horrible. Full stop. The one byproduct was that it kind of released those expectations that the team had. Remember back to when they traded for Aaron Gordon? And it's it's tough that, like, we still may be thinking about it this way. The Nuggets might have been Western Conference favorites had they had Jamal Murray right now. If they were fully healthy, if they had Barton and Dozier too, they might genuinely be favorites to come out of the West. They're not. And it's going to look a little bit different now that they have all the injuries that they do, but they still beat Portland. They got that revenge, even without Murray. And that tasted really sweet. That was really fun. It was a great series to cheer for, a great series to want that outcome. And I just really enjoyed the way that Denver rose to the occasion, rose to the moment, that even in, that even despite those potential pitfalls, they were able to make it work. And that's just why this team is so fun, why they're so resilient and so just locked in all the time. Another piece of positivity. Every single minute Nikola Jokic plays is a joy to watch. That's one thing that you can really look to in these playoffs and say, wow, the Nuggets keep moving on and they keep moving on because of the Serbian center who's going to be the MVP of the league. And he plays the game in such a way that it's always so incredible to watch him. And the longer the Nuggets play, the longer Nikola Jokic plays. So I'm going to take that and run with it as much as I can. Every single minute Michael Porter Jr. plays, it benefits the future of this Nuggets franchise. Think about how much Porter has proven over the course of this time without Jamal Murray, but also how much he's learned. Also how much he has completely had to scrap from his usual game. He's had to work so hard for the shots that he's getting. Take such difficult shots and he's making them. He's developing that confidence and he's learning new tricks. And you like to see that. You want to see him grow up quickly because the quicker he does grow up and realize what he has to do to become that elite player, that is going to benefit the Nuggets franchise. And don't think the Nuggets aren't like super happy that he's, I mean, they would prefer having it with Jamal Murray. Don't get me wrong. But Michael Porter would still be the third option going forward. And he would still be a very large focal point of the opposing team. So they would have to focus on him. They would be trying to do a lot of these same things. I'm glad that he gets to learn from this experience. I'm also glad that Jokic, Gordon, Michael Porter, their chemistry is just rapidly improving. It really has been just over two months since that trade was made. Aaron Gordon has been a nugget for just over two months now. He's played 20 plus regular season games. Uh, 
25 or so, maybe 30. Um, he's played six playoff games. And the more they play with each other, the more he gets an appreciation and a crash course in Nikola Jokic basketball, in Nuggets basketball. The longer he does that and the longer the Nuggets continue to go with that, it's going to be great. It's going to be great for everybody. It's also just been an absolute joy to watch some of the following players step up. Monte Morris. He's had so many demons in the playoffs before. He had to exercise a lot of those demons that he played so badly against the Portland Trailblazers two years ago that now he gets to watch them say goodbye. And a lot of it was because of what he did in the final two games of the series. It was incredible. Austin Rivers, he got to turn his life around just by being with the Nuggets, just by learning and figuring that out. He's been a big reason why the Nuggets have won Game 3, Game 5, and Game 6. It's awesome to watch him. Faku Kampazo. I give Faku a hard time, and I try to be honest like a lot of it, a lot of the reason why I crash with uh, Argentina fans and, and Faku stands and people like that is because I try to be honest about what I see. And I think I'm just naturally a little bit biased against Faku because I see certain things and, and I pick out those things. I don't necessarily think about all the great things that he does all the time on the courts, but he does do great things. And he was a positive player for the Nuggets in the first round playoff series. Because of all those great things that he does, he's going to continue to do them. And I'm glad that he's on the Nuggets for that reason. Jamichael Green, think about the demons that he gets to exercise after losing with the Clippers last year, after losing to Denver. He comes to Denver, plays kind of a, a hybrid backup role between the four and the five most of the time. The Nuggets get him into a position where he's in a good spot to thrive, and he does so. Hits some threes, grabs some big rebounds, makes some winning plays, does a lot of great things, and he was able to close out the game in game six because of what he was doing. Love it. And Marcus Howard's the final one that I just really have. It's been an absolute joy to watch him, too. How many times has a player that has like played 100 minutes 200 minutes, somebody who's barely touched the floor in his entire time with the Nuggets, how many times does a player like that get an opportunity to play in the playoffs and also thrive? He's a flawed player. He's a guy that he's a rookie. He's still trying to figure out his life. He's still trying to figure out how to fit into the Nuggets. But what he did in stepping up in that rotation Hitting those threes. He shot 45% from three in the playoffs, including three important threes in game five, which helped put Denver so far ahead in that game that even the heroics of Damian Lillard couldn't bring them back. Marcus Howard, big time minutes. He's going to get another opportunity. I hope he continues to make the most of it because. Denver's at their best when they're making shots around Nikola Jokic, and Marcus Howard makes shots. He's a guy who's going to keep shooting, too. So I hope he stays aggressive. I hope he stays efficient. It's a big deal for Denver. Last thing. Michael Malone sounded pretty optimistic about some healthy reinforcements this round, both in his post-game conversation to the Nuggets on Thursday night, but also his general response to reporters in media sessions on Saturday. 
Uh, one of the questions asked was about the progress of Will Barton, PJ Dozier. He said he was, I, I don't remember what the exact wording was, but I think he's optimistic that the Nuggets are going to get some reinforcements in the form of Will Barton and maybe PJ Dozier. If that's the case, Will Barton gives the Nuggets another body that they can mix and match, throwing at the Suns in a way that's going to help Denver. He won't be a savior. He won't be somebody that is going to turn the tide in any way, shape, or form. But if he does get out there, and if he does add to what they do, that is something that he wouldn't have done prior. And I'm just hoping that we get a Will Barton moment, hoping that he gets that opportunity for himself. He's losing a lot of money by not being out there in this playoff environment. And I want him to get out there. I want him to be healthy. I want him to contribute. I want him to be a part of Nuggets winning basketball again. It's been too long. It's been a while since we've seen Will Barton. So hopefully we get him back soon. But that's about it. I don't really have anything else. If you've got any other pieces of Monday positivity, comment them on denverstiffs.com. going to upload this podcast there. Uh, make sure to share your thoughts. would love to hear them from everybody. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Going to be fun. Going to be a very interesting second-round series for Denver. I think that the Nuggets have a really good chance to win. They're going to have to figure some things out against Phoenix. Phoenix is tougher than Portland. But Denver does have some matchup advantages. Let's see if they can push on them. That is going to do it. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow night.